Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast presents Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Hello and welcome to episode 184, I think, of Who Killed. I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast production. And on this week's episode, we are very lucky to be joined by the one and only Mr. Bill Thomas. Welcome to the show, Bill. Wow, what an introduction. This is great. Uh, thanks, Bill. Well, you are the music man. I should have introduced you as that, but uh, <laughs> but you have, uh, you know, all fun and games. But uh, no, you, you actually have a very serious um, reason to be on this show, and you've been on this show before. And unfortunately, the reason that you've been on this show is because your association with the Colonial Parkway murders. And how does that work? Well, uh, my younger sister, Kathy Thomas, and her girlfriend, Rebecca Dowski, are the first two victims in the so-called Colonial Parkway murders. Do you want me to summarize the case real quick? Yeah, absolutely. I think some of the listeners would love to hear your take on it and just... Yeah, go right ahead. With the Colonial Parkway murders, what you have are four double homicides of couples in Lover's Lane situations in and around Williamsburg, Virginia, from 1986 to 1989. Four couples were killed, approximately one couple a year. It's actually three years, um, 86, 87, 88, 89, in terms of looking at a calendar, but it's uh, you know obviously four different dates. And what we have are a lesbian couple, my sister Kathy Thomas and her girlfriend Rebecca Dowski, and then approximately a year later, uh, a couple that had just met that day, Robin Edwards and David Knobling, were killed at a place called the Ragged Island Wildlife Refuge. And then about nine months later, another couple who were on a first date, uh, Keith Call and Cassandra Sandy Haley, were at a party at Christopher Newport University and were heading home for a 2 a.m. curfew and went missing. They've actually never been found, although it's been more than 30 years, so I don't think they're walking through the door tomorrow. So they are missing and presumed murdered. And then approximately a year later, uh, a couple, but I, I use the term loosely, we can get into more details in a second, Anna Maria Phelps and Daniel Lauer went missing along Interstate 64 about 30 to 40 minutes away from where the other incidents had taken place. This is driving from Amelia County, Virginia, up near Richmond, down to Virginia Beach, where they had just moved. That couple goes missing, and then their bodies are found about six weeks later alongside Interstate 64. And interestingly, there's nothing in the forensics, the science, that links the four double homicides in the Colonial Parkway murders. And of course, you've got a lesbian couple, Kathy and Becky, followed by three straight couples. It's basic circumstances that led the media to coin this series of murders, the Colonial Parkway murders. And people often ask me about serial killers. We're not even certain that these four double homicides are actually related, although circumstantially they're very similar incident to incident. Yeah, <clears throat> as a matter of circumstance, I mean, you would look at, you know, obviously you look at a map and you see where the bodies were found, and yeah, you can definitely 
make a connection. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it is. Uh, it's easier, I think, for the public to digest when people do put a name to a case, even though if not all the names or victims within that case are involved. It just sort of keeps it in the public's mindset, kind of like the Long Island serial killer, the Green River killer. Um, it, it just sort of, you know, gives the public something to remember because that's a very, I know it sounds kind of journalism, you know, journalistic-y, like writing-wise, but like it's a hook. Like, it hooks you. It does, and that was a very conscious decision. The media coined the phrase Colonial Parkway murders. Only two of the cases, two of the four, actually are linked to this Colonial Parkway, which is a 23-mile-long national park. It's a ribbon of land alongside two rivers that link these historic sites, uh, Jamestown, Yorktown, Colonial Williamsburg. And only two of the incidents really have a connection to the Colonial Parkway. The Thomas Dowski and Call Haley cases are at least linked to the Colonial Parkway. And then the other two incidents, uh, Edward Snobling and Phelps Lauer, are completely off the Colonial Parkway about a half an hour or even 40 minutes in each direction from the center point, which we'll call the Colonial Parkway. But we, the families, recognized that we had more strength and leverage together than we did separately. We were dealing with two different agencies. Those cases that are linked to the Colonial Parkway are FBI cases because that's federal property. And then the two okay. cases that happened off the Colonial Parkway are Virginia State Police cases. And just to make things a little more complicated, they're handled by separate Virginia State Police investigative offices. And this is back in the 80s, the coordination between federal, state, and local law enforcement was not good. And, you know, I see you nodding your head. We've seen this before in other cases. It happens too often where just the lack of communication between agencies leads to people falling through the cracks and, you know, murders continuing. This is not a, this is, I shake my head because it's just like in, in this day and age, obviously, with the resources or lack thereof, they'd be like, we're going to combine all these and just put them into one agency. Right. Because it's cheaper. But back then, they just, you know, they just did the old way and, who knows what they they didn't even communicate they did ultimately after several years and all the murders having taken place they did put together a task force and they did meet and the information sharing got better but unfortunately by that point the murder series appeared to end and and the la and i was going to say the last murder what year was that, that was 1989 okay so it's been 30 to 35 years and what we're hoping now is that with advanced forensics, and remember, back then, crime scenes weren't secured in the way they are now. This is before DNA uh, is out of the lab. So, you know, we were real, relying on fingerprints, hair analysis. Um, the science of forensics was far less developed than it is now. And crime scenes were terribly compromised. 
I've talked to first responders who were there when Kathy and Becky's bodies were found in my sister's Honda Civic. Those first responders literally climbed inside the car with the bodies to examine them. That's not how you'd handle a crime scene in 2022. But this is 1986, which seems like ancient history. From a scientific perspective, it probably was. Yeah, it was. I mean, I think 86 was the first year they actually used DNA. And you got to figure how much of a stretch that was. It didn't become mainstream until, you know, I mean, the, we really didn't talk about it until OJ, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it kind of was like on the back burner, and then they talked about it a ton during, you know, the OJ Simpson trial. But again, like, yeah, crime scene contamination. Two officers climbed through the back of the Honda Civic. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately now, the whole scene is contaminated, and it doesn't, you don't know what is what at that point. No, it's true. Now, they've made significant efforts to go back. For example, a few years ago, the FBI uh, came to visit me, my older brother Richard, my younger brother Jack, because we'd all spent time in that Honda Civic. As a matter of fact, I have very pleasant memories. My sister was a Naval Academy grad, and so my folks who were from uh, Lowell, Massachusetts, up north of Boston, we bombed around in that Honda, you know, back and forth between Annapolis numerous times. But for instance, this is about five years ago now, they were working back through evidence from my sister's Honda Civic, which the car is long gone, but they still preserved some of the interior panels and carpets and things like that. But they were looking to eliminate the three Thomas brothers because we and our DNA belong in that car because we traveled with my sister. And they actually went back to the first responders, the people I talked about a moment ago, and got their DNA. So what they're trying to do is work back through the maybe even hundreds of different pieces of DNA evidence that they found looking for someone that doesn't belong in that Honda Civic and that that person could potentially be an offender. So they're basically reverse engineering the crime. It is, but it's extremely slow and time consuming. Well, I can only imagine they're, they're probably taking, you know, the time and care that they should have taken in 86, but they didn't know any better. I mean, it's not like we're sitting here talking trash about the, about the investigators or anything it was just there's two victims in a car let's you know let's check it out and it's not their fault it's China no what I'm trying understood to get and I can't criticize from a 2022 perspective something that happened 35 years ago it, it isn't fair what is legitimate criticism is that FBI Quantico is so backlogged that we're finding that when they send in evidence for basically retesting at this point, it's taking as long as a year for us to get DNA results. And that's every single time we send evidence in. And remember, we're talking about a lot of potential evidence. So one of the things that the Colonial Parkway murders families are so upset about is Virginia State Police and FBI now are falling back on the well, you know your brother sister's case is a cold case, and that makes you the lowest possible priority in the queue at the various labs. And then it's taking a year to get test results. You can see how 
glacial speed becomes the only speed with which this investigation moves. And that's incredibly frustrating for the families. And I would say to that and to the families, there should be, you know, don't put those in the same category. It should be its own, its own thing. When a case becomes cold, you don't want it to go to the bottom of the list because there's a perpetrator still out there. It doesn't make sense. In my opinion, it's similar to the way that the government works with bidding contracts. We're going to take the lowest bid every time, but it's going to be crap. It's like, dude, no, like, let's let's acknowledge the situation for what it is. <laughs> Agreed. And one of the things we're running into a problem with, and we're going to be continuing to put pressure on the FBI and the Virginia State Police, we want them to use private labs, which have much more rapid turnaround. They, the private labs, whose science is actually better, and I mean significantly better than the FBI's, because the FBI cannot claim that they have the best crime lab in the world because they don't. The private labs have outstripped Quantico by a wide margin, and they're turning around evidence now in 6 to 12 weeks instead of a year. And I mean literally waiting a year every single time. And at this point, 8 of the 16 parents, you know, you've got 8 victims, a mom and a dad for each of them, that's 16 parents. Half the parents have died waiting for answers in the Colonial Parkway murders. Both my parents are gone. And a number of of, of us have lost our parents waiting for answers. And now what we have is a situation where we have this sort of sad transition. Now the advocates in the Colonial Parkway murders are almost all the siblings of the murder victims because that's how long this case is dragged on. Yeah, this is, this is one of those cases. It's very frustrating. I can't imagine what, you know, the pain that you've gone through. Can I ask how old were you when Kathy I was, a, was, I was a month shy of my 30th birthday when, when Kathy okay. and Becky were killed. So I'm 65 years old now. I've been waiting more than half my life for answers in the Colonial Parkway murders. And that's and that's a shame. See that that's that's where and I hate to you know I I'll stand on my soapbox, but like <laughs> go ahead. I have to, I mean I have to say like it's we have the cold cases. We have these you know. 250,000 unsolved homicides or whatever the number is. I'm sure it's higher or whatever the margin of error is, but it's around yes. there. And if the private labs are so much better than the government labs, it's just like, why aren't we just sending this shit to them? No pun intended. Um, you have to ask the FBI, and the Virginia state police, I, you know, they're, they're the foot dragging. And the bureaucratic... It's an ego thing. Yeah, it's foot dragging. It's bureaucracy. It's Now they're hitting me with, well, we don't have the, we don't have the money. 
Okay, that's what I was going to ask. If it was a funding issue. Well, and because you're like, telling me we, in the richest country in the world, we can't find a way to test, to move forward 250,000 cold case homicides? And, and with those 250,000 cold cases, how many cases actually have DNA associated with them? Let's say it's half. All right, how much is it to get a DNA test? Do you probably know the answer well, to this? Our friends at Othram Labs down in Houston, Texas, who were among the best, if not the best in the world, they're currently charging $5,000, which, by the way, there's no way that even covers their costs. But you're not making money doing DNA testing at $5,000 a pop. But that's what they charge. Um, this is something that should be fun funded. Now, it's funny. I think I've jumped onto your soapbox with you. I hope your soapbox is big enough to hold both of us. Um, this is something that should be a national priority. I think this should be a national scandal that there are 250,000 cold case homicides. See, we've all watched CSI and all of the procedural shows, and I like those shows too, but we've been sold a bill of goods that somehow advanced forensics and the way science works now in terms of DNA and other advances, that these cases are readily, easily solved. They are, but only if they put time, attention, and resources into them in real life. And as we all know, things are not solved in 48 minutes on a TV show, and you come from a TV background. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely something that we have been trained to believe that can be processed overnight almost. It's like, it's like fingerprints. It's like, uh, you know, like... Um... Not quite. No. Uh, takes a little bit of time, and obviously it takes resources. But, I mean, even if it's $5,000, I mean, okay, let's just – how many billions of dollars do we have that we put towards crap? Well, and I have an idea. It would, it would take $1 billion, $1 sure. billion, well, and, and we could test Well, everything. I have an idea, which is – and it's just a rough idea. I'm not saying I've run all the numbers, but I come from a military family. My, my father, my older brother, Richard, and my younger brother, Kathy, all graduated from the United States Naval Academy. They're actually the first father-son-daughter graduates of Annapolis. So I come from a military background, and although I never served, we grew up with my dad being in the Navy, then my older brother, then my younger sister, um, and she died just a few months after leaving the Navy. I have this idea that we could take 100,000 people from the United States military, some of our best and brightest, and move them from the military into permanently funded positions in law enforcement. And the goal would be not dissimilar to when I was a kid, uh, JFK, uh, John F. Kennedy announced that we were going to put a man on the moon in 10 years. And that's what we did. And much in the same way we've talked about cancer and other important goals for our country. We're spending way too much money on America's military. No disrespect. I come from a military family, but we are spending too much money. We're spending more money, I think, than the next 13 countries combined on our military. I think we should move 100,000 of our best and brightest from the U.S. military into law enforcement positions, which many military people would transition to anyway when they served their 20 years in the military. And 
Our goal should be to cut the 250,000 cold case homicides by half in 10 years. And I think it could be done. I don't think it's such a crazy idea. It's just something I thought about one day. And I thought, let's move resources where they need to be as opposed to continuing to overspend in the military area. Let's spend more on law enforcement. We have 17,000 law enforcement agencies across the country. The coordination is not great. We could improve the coordination and put money into science, this would create even more jobs because then we'd be having all of these people doing advanced forensics and then investigating these cold case homicides. This would end up solving serial killings, sexual assaults. It would reduce crime across the country. I, nobody's been able to tell me why they think this is a bad idea. No, I think it's a, I think it's a fabulous idea. Another thing that I think of is you know that the mandatory age to retire at the FBI I mean you have to retire at age 57 which is crazy which is too yes. young and this so people who were at the peak of their knowledge then are, are obligated so my, to retire my point is take those people cuz I met you know I've talked with Phil Torsney he was like I wasn't ready to retire I, I was fired up I I went to Afghanistan and did security whatever because i was you know for another five years well why didn't you know i know this is magical thinking but like hey maybe you think this is a practical idea let's say you retire okay you still have to retire at 57 from whatever field work you're doing but you get the next 10 years or mm -hmm. five years yep. or whatever and you work in the cold case department because you have all this mm -hmm. knowledge that you've acquired throughout your years of service and you can help all the younger people exactly with other things. It's like, what are we doing with these people who at 57 are told they can't do their job right anymore. and have phenomenal experience and great institutional contacts and know how the system works whether we extended them for and five not, years or ten years it, I, it doesn't i'm not stuck on a number i i would have to say they can still retire at 57 it's just gives well, them the option of like hey you're still into for, it let's let's say we go saying, with yeah, five right. years and we say all right. of you agents i know agents now that are working on the colonial parkway murders that are coming up on, on their retirement age. And they go out and work in the private sector, which I have no problem with. But if we could convince some of them to stay on, or at least give them the option to stay on, continue doing the work that you're doing with all of the experience, and then they would bring up some of these new younger agents who need to understand how to solve cold cases. Like in this example, I love the idea. I, I actually think that's a that's a phenomenal idea. I don't know how we get locked into these things like you have to retire at, at a certain age. Clearly, someone who's 57 years old is still mid-career. They're going to continue working somewhere. Why not have them work on solving cold cases? I agree 100%. And I, th and I feel like, too, that, you know, Obviously, people live longer these days. People's health is different. You know, 57, 30 years ago is not the same 57 yeah. today. 
And I'm sure the numbers, you know, it's some stupid arbitrary number that they came up with. And you think about like judges in certain states, they can just be judges forever. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> Not. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> but at the same time, you can see how extending someone's tour of duty, if you will, in law enforcement for even just another five years would give us all kinds of benefit and make it their option. There are a lot of people that are good at their jobs and enjoying the work and they could make a phenomenal contribution as opposed to going out and becoming a private civilian contractor. Or I know a lot of people in law enforcement, interestingly, because they're nowhere close to being done with their careers, they end up changing agencies and think about the institutional knowledge that they're leaving behind if they go from one agency to another. But it happens a lot. We should be using our law enforcement resources much better. By the way, while we're up here on the soapbox, the FBI is way too small for the size of the country and the level of work that we're asking them to do. And let's not move past something which is after 9-11 – the FBI has largely been redeployed as an anti-terrorism agency, which I don't necessarily think that the FBI was the best choice for that, but that decision was made. But sometimes as much as... Don't we have the Department of Homeland Security for that? We do, reason? and I'm so frustrated because in many examples, 90 cents on the dollar of the FBI's budget is going to counterterrorism. And I haven't lost my mind here. I mean, I lived in New York on 9-11. I lost friends on 9-11. I'm not trying to say that um, we don't need to continue focusing on keeping our country safe. But when you make a decision like we're going to redeploy the FBI largely as an anti-terrorism agency, understand that has consequences. And guess what? The lack of resolution in a murder like the Colonial Parkway murders, which has been an FBI case since day one because it happened in a national park, the lack of resources for the Colonial Parkway murders and other cases like this, that's, you can draw a straight line from the redeployment of assets at the FBI to lack of progress on cases like ours. There's just no way around it. Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, there's nothing that the FBI is interesting. There's a great scene in The Wire in the first season uh, where they're trying to get some help from the FBI, and they go to him. They ask him. They're looking for. They're looking for some, you know, electronics. And the agent looks at McNulty and he goes, "Yo, man, we're all focused on terrorism now." And that and that has still but that that was twenty years ago, literally, that when that episode aired. And to think that we're still doing that and they have all these other agencies that are supposedly doing that, what why didn't the FBI go back to doing what their original job was, which was being the Federal Bureau of Investigation? And fighting now. crime? And again, I'm not that, saying that, terrorism isn't a crime. It is. Like, but it, it can't be all that the FBI does. And just like everything else, if you make a decision to put a lot, some people say 90% of your resources into 
counterterrorism, that's going to have a cost elsewhere. It's a cause and effect yeah. thing. I mean, it's just, of course. I mean, there's going to be uh, repercussions when you take somebody off one post or one beat and put them on another. Well, guess what doesn't yeah. get covered? And you know, and this is <laughs> where like, I have conversations with senior agents who are responsible for the Colonial Parkway murders investigation, saying to me directly, "Bill, we don't have the money." to conduct those tests. And from my point of view, that's unacceptable. And then, of course, we end up with a, this bizarre discussion where I said, well, what if the families and our supporters were to raise funds? And then they say, well, the federal government can't accept gifts of that type. And I said to the senior agent, now you've created a situation, you've painted this into a corner with this bizarre catch-22. You're saying the FBI doesn't have the financial resources to conduct tests in the Colonial Parkway murders. And then when I offer to try to find a way around that, like to cover those costs, you tell me I can't do that. And I said, that's not an acceptable answer. You're saying, no, we can't do that. And then I come up with an alternative and you're like, no, you can't do that either. That doesn't work. For, it's not reasonable or fair. And these families deserve answers, not just my family, but all the families in the Colonial Parkway murders. It's like almost it's almost as if like we gave them a billion dollars they'd still fuck it up. <laughs> well, you're being you know a, what I mean? Maybe a little harsh, but uh, my, my my point my point no, it's 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 what they would do with the money and what they would how they would distribute it and delegate responsibilities. It would this feels like something that they need to start from scratch. You know, like hey, I know we've got this really cool new thing called the Space Force. Um, why not cold case task force? Well, since you know, we don't like... really need a space force, why are you wasting our money? And look, I'm a taxpayer just like anybody else, and I don't like paying more taxes Absolutely. than I need to, but I'd like to see resources properly allocated, which is, I think, where you're going. And, you know, I, I don't, you know, the idea that we're going to create a space force, you know, that should have just been laughed out of out of town. I mean... I'm sorry, that's just a stupid idea and a waste of money. Um, solving 250,000 cold cases across the United States and preventing additional violent crime, I can get behind that. The Space Force, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like Bill Gates. Uh, like if Bill Gates was like, here's a billion dollars to solve this, I feel like they, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't work. You know, like it needs to be moved to the I hate to say it the private sector in that regard because it's like you know there's too many cooks in the kitchen when it comes to these 17,000 agencies and you know well now we're encountering <laughs> all this resistance we're asking the FBI and the Virginia State Police to use more private labs and they're saying no and we're saying we're sorry that's not an acceptable answer we the, if the and well, we won't take your money. I mean, come on. This is crazy. Now we keep coming up with, you know, ways. We're not just complaining to complain. We're actually trying to help move things forward. And that uh, that response doesn't really cut it. It, it. You know, you can't just say no and expect us to accept that. 
you know, you sense the frustration in my voice. This is something we're dealing with. And we're, we're, I told the FBI, and by the way, people have said to me, uh, including a number of retired FBI agents, you know, Bill, they're not used to being talked to the way you talk. <laughs> and I said, I don't care. I've been waiting for 35 years for answers. And I'm, I try to be polite. I'm not saying I've never lost my temper. I'm, my Irish temper has kicked in a few times and my mom would not be very happy with me. But you can't just keep saying no to everything. I'm not saying all our ideas are good ideas, but they're at least worth talking about. So we're going to continue to put pressure on the FBI. The experts tell me the Colonial Parkway murders can be solved. But dragging your feet on advanced forensics, refusing to use outside labs when FBI Quantico is so backlogged, it's insane. These are not acceptable responses, in my opinion. So what would you like to see going forward as far as your involvement and the FBI's involvement in, in this? I mean, what, what well, would the next step be? There are there is accept? evidence in the Colonial Parkway murders that needs to be tested to the nth degree of where we are scientifically in 2022. And that testing should likely take place at private labs. And that's what we're looking for. Um, the other thing is that the Colonial Parkway murders need to be reviewed top to bottom. The more I learn about these cases, the less convinced I am that they're actually related. I'm actually pretty certain that my sister Kathy and Rebecca Dowski's murder, and which is case number one, and the fourth murder of Anna Maria Phelps and Daniel Lauer, I actually believe both of those murders are not related to the others. The incidents two and, and three, it's a little hard to say. But I'm pretty convinced that if the Virginia State Police pursued the Anna Maria Phelps-Daniel Lauer murder aggressively, I think that murder could be solved. And I believe with the proper review of forensics, uh, Kathy Thomas and Rebecca Dowski's murder could also be solved. Now, you mentioned that you have teamed up with the family members. Now, does each family member have a representative? Uh, everybody does, but... Um, some of us are more involved than others. That's not a criticism. It's just kind of the way things developed. Personality. Yeah, how much time does someone have? And gregarious. so, for example, um, you know, I have more time now. I'm, I'm not working full-time outside the house anymore, which is great, and that affords me more opportunity to work on our podcast, Mind Over Murder, and focus on this case and moving things forward and talking to people like you. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's definitely important to continue to talk about these cases and continue to kind of hold the FBI's feet to the fire in that regard. Because, you know, at the end of the day, they're the ones that hold the cards. Yes. And if they're not willing to, you know, part with them, then there's really nothing that the public can do, which really sucks for. Mm -hmm. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about the doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, undereating, or overeating. I like to think that I deal with my stresses by taking a little bit of mindfulness each day. And I do try to make it a point to focus on myself. 
because stress shows up in all kinds of ways. And in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time, here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. I've personally been in therapy since I was a child, and I would suggest it for everyone. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's so much more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Who Killed Amy Maholovic listeners. Get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash who. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash who. Bill, your point is a really good one, which is the FBI and the Virginia State Police, they control the evidence. And so as a result, the the families find themselves in this kind of push-pull situation with the the agencies because the families don't control the evidence and we're very dependent upon um, those agencies to, to move the investigation forward, particularly when it comes to evidence testing. Yeah. I mean, when, if, when you have all of these tools that the FBI has and then you say that everything's backlogged, well... I hate to be the person that's going to acknowledge the obvious, but, you know, maybe we should have more people mm -hmm. working on Agreed. that kind of stuff. I mean, it just seems it just seems like common sense to me, but I know common sense doesn't reign supreme in federal agencies and <laughs> our government. Definitely not. Um, definitely not a thing that we have. And uh, that's another episode and a whole <laughs> other podcast. So. But, uh, but yeah, you know, you, you look at what they have to work with and again, they have all the fucking resources, pardon my French, but they have them. It's not that they can't afford it. It's just that their focus is not on what it should be on. And the whole thing for me is yes, you want to protect the company or the country against terrorism. Great. We have multiple agencies that do that. So let's have a reassessment of what you do for the citizens of mm -hmm. this country. Because your job is not to do stuff out of the country. Your job is to do stuff within the country. So focus on the stuff that's going on here because there's not sleeper cells in every fucking city. There's not... This isn't 1996 with, you know, Osama bin Laden. It's We have a world that we live in. Yes, terrorism is a thing. It's something that every country around the world has to deal with. But we also have a great infrastructure system to protect ourselves against that. Why would we need to add additional resources by taking away from investigating murders and investigating bank robberies, uh, you know, all these other internet thefts, these digital, all, all these ripoffs. I mean, Bitcoin. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, anyway. Um, but you know what well, I'm saying, and, though? And like, it's remember, like, when... It, 
yelling into the wind, man. I'm yelling into <laughs> well, the wind. Well, and the other thing, too, is that I, I don't think we should lose sight of the fact that we also have a challenge now with domestic terrorism. There are people around the country who have become radicalized, and they are also creating terrible problems for our country. And I do understand that needs, again, time, attention, and resources to be addressed. But I, I, I never quite understood... The domestic terrorism thing, I understand that's the FBI's job. International terrorism, I never quite understood why that got tossed to the FBI as opposed to there actually are 17 other agencies who handle um, security at some level. You know, yeah, and again, I thought it was illegal for the FBI to do stuff no. out of the country, just like the CIA isn't allowed to do well, stuff inside the, the country. All I know now is the FBI has <laughs> agents all over the world. It's three letter the agencies FBI has agents all over the world um, that you know work in cities around the around the world with local law enforcement. And I'm. Sh- I'm sure I'm wrong about that. I think it's the NSA that's not know. allowed to do I'm, stuff here. I don't know, but it's one, it's one of those stupid agencies that is supposed to be doing what they're not <laughs> doing. <laughs> I'm not an expert on all things uh, 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 international or domestic in terms of uh, what the alphabet soup of agencies are supposed to be doing. I still find myself baffled as to... No, I, why 90 cents on the dollar is being used by the FBI uh, in the anti-terrorism category, which leaves the rest of us literally fighting for scraps. And I think if we reallocated resources properly, we could address our challenges in a much more uh, cohesive and productive way. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, especially since I'd like to see what those 90 cents on the dollar <laughs> Well, I'm not implying that towards. it's wasteful. I just think that it's very problematic to devote so many resources to um, mostly international threats from terrorism. And that means that the FBI has left behind, as you said a moment ago, Bill, a lot of their core responsibilities. So they're not really being properly handled. And the number one thing, okay, yes, we're talking about cold cases right now. But, yeah, I would agree that the number one thing should be the fact that there's been a lot Mm -hmm. of radicalization in this country. And we should probably be paying a little bit closer attention to what's being communicated amongst these groups. Because, hey, I'm not one for a nanny state, but I'm also not going to sit here and let some clowns, you know, try to do whatever they're trying to do and... Uh, take us back 250 years. I mean, this is a freaking joke. You know, focus on keeping the country safe. Don't blame mental health on everything. Mass shootings, you know. How about you focus on that for a minute, you idiots? Like, just focus on something that's not international terrorism because I get that we haven't had a terrorist attack on our soil in a long since nine eleven, we've domestic. We've, we've had, had lots domestic. of them, and and I don't think we're owning it uh, particularly, and that's a problem. And it's, uh, you know, I'm sure there are people 
on various ends of the political spectrum that would attack what we're saying. I'm not trying to make this a political statement, but I'm telling you, if somebody is plotting to uh, attack their state house or or kill their governor or whatever, that's terrorism, and that is a extremely problematic. And uh, it, whether people think this threat is coming from the left or the right, I don't particularly care. If people are going to plot violence, they need to be stopped. And this isn't to say, and I'm, and this is definitely not, I'm not sitting here trying to just totally rag on the FBI because they do do domestic terrorist terrorism stings yeah you've seen it i mean they that's how they got the they got the people plotting the Mm -hmm. whitmer abduction in michigan uh you know back in cleveland they there were guys that they were trying to blow up a a bridge and so but then you get in the whole like messy situation of this is entrapment stopping terrorism you know like is you know like admirable goal and to be fair to the fbi i think they do a lot of great work much of which they can't even talk about because they they foil plots regularly, and I have a lot of admiration for them. Mm-hmm. I do too, and I just think I just feel like it seems to have lost some of its. Like you said, it just they changed mm-hmm. up their game plan and the way that they approach uh, investigating crimes, investigating. You know, just just in general like it just doesn't seem like the fbi and i'm not i trust me i'm not saying let's go back to hoover days because you know like i wasn't even alive then but damn do i know enough about it to know that that wasn't Agreed. a good time either so um you know you can pick and choose which is a, a better time and place to go back to but the really the reality is we can only live in the place that we live in and that is the present and the future is the only way that we can look forward and if we're not allocating the resources towards our future then we should be you know that that's that's just silly and uh we need to clean up the stuff that's in the past these cold cases i mean you've dealt with what what has your experience been with dealing with other family members because you're very open about, and I and, and I apologize. Because you're very open about the the case, and you've dealt with it for thirty five years. And I've talked to Kelsey German. I've talked to Sarah Turney, and you know they've lost siblings as well. And you know it, it's. Um, I guess my question is just how do you keep it going? How do you how how are you able to stay motivated every single day? Because this well, is your passion. <laughs> um, I'm just a stubborn Irishman from Boston that's too dense to quit. <laughs> it's like that line in The Departed. It's like you're going to have to end this marriage. I'm Irish. I'll ride this to the grave. It's just like that. <laughs> One of my favorite movies, by the way. Um, it well. <laughs> Without question. (laughs) For many of the families, I understand that, um, as I like to say, your mileage may vary. Different family members have stepped forward in an advocate role with us at different times, but it does wear on you. It's sometimes a heavy burden. And I understand that over time, different members of the Colonial Parkway Murders families 
have stepped forward and then for a variety of reasons have needed to step back, whether it's their, you know, where they are in their lives or um, how fatiguing they might find this advocacy might be. I'm just too stubborn to let it go. The other thing is that I've met so many amazing people. I've been very involved in the Colonial Parkway murders for about the last 12 years since the story broke that the FBI had lost control of 78 highly graphic crime scene photos in the Colonial Parkway murders. And that got me much more involved in my sister's case and the Colonial Parkway murders in general. And the people, people come and go as they can contribute. I think all of the families have helped in many ways and we, we do coordinate, but I mean, these days, um, the, I, I would say the Thomas call and Haley families are the most involved and, um, uh, and the, but the other families are all very supportive. Hey, Bill, I, I'm going to need to change yes. a connection because my iPhone is running low on juice. Sure, sure. I can hit stop and just join. Um, well, just it join might back not up completely and, disconnect. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, I'll just stop the recording while we're doing right. it, and I'll hang, still be hang, here. Hang so. on for one second. It gave me the 10% so warning here. Okay, yeah, let, me give the, let me hit the stop. All right, so as we were saying, you know, the FBI changing their format as far as what they're investigating, focusing on domestic terrorism, which is all good and stuff, but again, we would like to see some more some more resources directed towards the investigation into some of these 250,000 unsolved homicides because that's really where we are i mean wouldn't you agree that they should somehow allocate some more money towards some closure i would and of course our intention once we solve the colonial parkway murders and we talk about this on mind over murder frequently our intention is actually to pivot to the larger issue bill that you mentioned, the 250,000 cold case homicides. So I'm not just talking about the Colonial Parkway murders when we're having this conversation. That is top of mind for us at this moment. But I actually think we as a country can do a better job than we're doing now. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there's definitely improvements that could be made on all fronts, I think just general awareness of the fact that there is a quarter million families. Well, I mean, a quarter million people and then God mm -hmm. knows how many families uh, left without answers. And you're one of those family members. And I feel like it's important to everybody to get these cases resolved, not just because of the fact that uh, you have family members, but they're perpetrators out there. And, we need to close those doors and close those chapters. Agreed. I'm totally on board. Yeah, I mean, I think that what you've done, I mean, give give a give us a little bit of a plug on your, oh, well, thank uh, on your you. podcast. Uh, we've been doing podcast. our podcast called Mind Over Murder, which is available on all popular podcast platforms. Uh, and when I say we, it's Kristen Dilly, 
my podcast partner and I have been doing it for about two and a half years. We've done over 170 episodes, and we've gotten great response. We don't discuss just the Colonial Parkway murders. We also talk about a lot of the issues that you and I are talking about uh, today on Who Killed. We also have been afforded the opportunity to talk to a lot of experts in true crime. We've met all these amazing people, so we try to take our audience along for the ride, if you know what I mean, to meet these amazing forensics experts, uh, investigators, profilers, authors, all these different experts from the true crime space to kind of inform all of us. And Kristen Dilly and I are learning as we go, and hopefully the audience is enjoying the ride, the, the experience of talking about our case and then also these broader issues that you and I have been talking about today. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think that uh, your podcast is, is fabulous. And I think that it's important for people to know that these things are out there and that there are people out there that really would like to see resolution. And, uh, you know, podcasts like Mind Over Murder and your advocacy are, you know, obviously just second to none. So you really, you know, you, you're doing what you can. And we can only hope that the other people will continue and the people in charge will continue to do what their job is. And uh, I think on that note, we'll pick up on part two. But No, just final, to say uh, thank you. We really thoughts? appreciate your interest and support. And um, actually, it occurred to me, you know, we should get you to come on Mind Over Murder. What do you think? You can... That, that, I think that we can, think that can happen. We can have you happen. wear a guest hat as opposed to a host hat. <laughs> that would be fun. That would be, it would be, that would be ideal. That would be great. I'd love that. I'd love that. And uh, when we pick up on part two, we will talk about, uh, we'll dive into uh, a book that you were actually recently involved with as well. And uh, your name seems to uh, make an appearance on numerous occasions. It does indeed. That book. And that book is Trailed by Catherine Miles. And if you have not listened to the podcast I did with her, I think that is two episodes ago. And that was a great interview. And that's about the hunt for the Shenandoah murderer, the Shenandoah killer, I should say. And uh, again, Bill, you're the best. And uh, we will talk again Thanks, next Bill. week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. 